0: What's up, guys? This is Zach Catanzaro, co-host of Song Confessional, and this is our first episode of 2023. And it's actually our first episode ever. We decided to turn back the clocks. We've been out for a while. It's been four years, a lot of bands, a lot of songs, and figured it was time to uh, go back to the beginning where it all started. Uh, Croy and the Boys, Austin's very own, with their hit single, Don't Let Me Die in Waco. It's amassed over a million streams, it became an anthem at various sporting events around Austin, um, and you know, a lot's changed since then. world's a completely different place, I cut off all my hair, Walker's got muscles now. You know it hasn't changed? This song still slaps. So here it is, our very first episode from 2019 with Croy and the Boys.
1: Hey everybody, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to the first episode of the song. explain to you what we do here in the Song Confessional. We have this little blue camper trailer and we've converted it into a mobile recording/confessional booth. So we travel all over the country, people uh, get in the trailer and they tell us stories anonymously. They tell us all sorts of stuff and we pick our favorite stories and we give them to our favorite songwriters and bands who then write and record original music. On this podcast, you're going to hear the confession that inspired the song, you're going to hear the premiere of that song, and an interview with the songwriters who wrote it. I'm sitting here with my partner in crime. What's your name, partner? What's going on, guys? I'm Zach. Zach, what's your last name for the no, cops
0: listening? Fair, for them for all the cops listening. Yeah. My last name is Catanzaro. You'll forget that instantly. You've already forgotten my That's last true. name. Yeah.
1: But he's Zach Catanzaro. And, and Zach, uh, how do we know each other? How do we end up here at, at KUTX right now recording this podcast? We basically spent, what, the past six years now together almost, almost every
0: single day of our lives uh, touring the country, playing music, writing music, recording music, and all the things that go with that. And lots of sitting in a van together. And lots of sitting in a van together, which... We were like, hey, what if we were in a trailer? Hey, what if we did this other thing that wasn't playing music? Yeah. And, so, here, and we, here, here we are. are yeah. Here we are. About a year and a half of doing this together, and um, finally we get to share it with the world. So that's exciting. Thank it's, you guys for listening.
1: It's true. And a little-known fact, uh, we spend more time with each other than we do with our uh, significant others.
0: Very true. My my wife is uh, still coming to terms with that. <laughs> but it gets better every day. It, it it, she, she likes you on, enough. That's you know. good.
1: So on this podcast, you will hear the, the the story. We call it the confession. You're going to hear the confession from the anonymous person, and then you're going to hear the song it inspired, and then you're going to hear an interview with the songwriter. And who is our songwriter today? We've got Croy and the Boys, uh, head songwriters Corey Baum, also known as Bad Boy Croy. We didn't ask him, but we like to believe he gave that nickname to himself. Yeah, uh, Absolutely, and that that's okay. And then that's okay. We we both have, we both agree that's okay. Anyone else? Not okay, yeah, probably Pretty not weird. okay,
0: but but Corey, he is bad boy Croy. If you see a picture of him, you're just like, Yep, yeah,
1: that makes sense. The Croy and the Boys, uh, just released an album called Howdy High Rise. I uh, I highly suggest checking it out. We do discuss it in the interview later, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. First, let's hear the confession that inspired today's song. Confession.
2: Hello, hello uh you, you know what we do here in this trailer I have a general idea it's kind of a story time right
1: yeah I always tell people uh you know just pretend you're talking to a stranger at the at the bar and uh start from the beginning tell me tell me everything I might ask you some questions at the end
2: okay sounds good um well this all started or it all happened when I was um I was in college i was 19 um in fort worth texas and me and my buddy kevin were bored one weekend it was kind of a dead weekend not a lot going on um so we thought we'd go to austin where all of our you know a lot of our friends were in school and like to hang out and stuff and we were uh well i didn't have a car at the time and kevin actually it's a separate story but he got hit his car was totaled it was hit by lightning um wow
1: but so you guys both didn't have a car and you we didn't uh, have
2: a car uh we so we i'd done this a couple times just t- we'd take the greyhound from fort worth to austin and, and you know it's pretty easy and cheap and there's only one stop in uh, waco so so it was like a friday we get on uh we get to the station we get on the on the bus and i remember i'm walking in and we, we were uh making our way to the back and there was this guy probably two or three rows in front of us uh, you know kind of homeless looking guy and we made eye contact he was wearing a hoodie He's kind of looking uh, like he didn't he didn't want to make eye contact with anyone or you know he he looked tired maybe but anyways we sit down in the back Uh, we're kind of bullshitting the whole way Um, we make it quite a while um, and then we get to We get to waco um just you know 35 takes you through waco if you're going to austin from from fort worth or dallas and so we uh it was like a planned stop i guess you know bathroom break and i think we picked up a few folks but we stopped in waco and everyone gets up and you know gets off the bus and then we went to the bathroom and we're going to get back on the bus and uh, they wouldn't let us on Trying to figure out what's going on, and then uh, ambulance showed up, and we we're sitting in this bus station in Waco, and they carted off the guy who was two rows in front of us. He was uh, uh, dead. He died Whoa. on on the bus, you know, f- a couple of feet from us, and it was uh it was super surreal um, just to know that somebody somebody's life had ended right in front of us, and you know, Did- while we were probably talking and anyways did uh, they did they tell you he died uh no (laughs) that was kind of the funny thing was they didn't really do a lot uh we, we saw him we saw him come off on the stretcher um but uh we when we got back on the bus we saw the bus driver was back there where the guy had been sitting and he just sprayed down the seat with Febreze and went back to his, uh, his seat. And so we of course sat at the very front of the bus at that point. Um, oh, and we're freaking out a bit. I don't know. I, I think we thought, you know, there, there would be more, um, health concerns with that, but no, it's just a little Febreze and we were on our way again to Austin. Uh, and, uh, kind of coincidentally you know we we finally got there it was kind of an emotional afternoon we were ready to kind of unwind and party with our friends and uh, anyways we get to where we were staying was a building I think it's still there called towers and a a dorm kind of Um, huge dorm huge dorm um, and we went up to our buddy's place we were staying and almost immediately we had been to Towers before, and you know it's kind of a crazy party place. You know, people punch the ceiling tiles out. There's parties in every room, and it was, you know, it was fun at the time. Uh, but it was dead. I mean, it was like there weren't there weren't any people, any kids moving around. There wasn't any music playing. Um, we finally figured out what was going on uh, the night before we got there. Uh, a fraternity guy had. Had too much to drink and fallen off of a balcony at Towers, like where we were staying, and he died. Um, yeah, there were cones on the ground right outside of the, the dorm where he had fallen, it was just. It was crazy. It was like, obviously, people weren't feeling very social or, or uh, you know. Yeah, fuck. It was, yeah.
1: How, how did you guys figure that out? like that
2: he had died
1: like you went from the from because this is like you know you get to the bus station and then you get to towers and it's dead and you asked well, we we
2: asked uh, our friend who we were staying with nikki we said hey man like what's going on and he was like "Uh, oh, actually there was a incident here. Uh, someone fell off the balcony and died uh last night and so it was it was a big deal on campus a lot of um people knew this guy. He was well-liked and it was pretty sad. Yeah.
1: Well, so, so that's that's Friday, right? So then what did you
2: do the rest of the weekend? It was a, it was a kind of a bummer of a weekend. We didn't do much. No one wanted to do anything. I mean, it was, we should have probably just stayed at home, but um, I can't remember what we did. I think we went to players and ate burgers and um, that was it. We tried to Tried to get people to go out, but it's this incident had just kind of silenced the entire West Campus world. Wow,
1: damn man, that's a that's a it, that's a pretty great story,
2: <laughs> as as uh, intense as it is. Yeah, it was um, something I'll never forget for sure. It was, uh, you know, I've never had anyone die in front of me before. well that's not true I've never had anyone die like that you know that was unexpected Um,
1: yeah so it was like uh, it was one of your first experiences with death
2: for sure yeah Um, and my most intimate experience I mean I didn't interact with the guy much at all but we definitely made eye contact and I think I can still picture his face you know he had a kind of a black beard and Kind of these these old uh, sunken eyes. It was uh, it's something I'll never forget. Yeah.
1: Production. All right, y'all. Imagine it's the hottest day of August 2018, and you're sitting in a little blue trailer outside of Native Hostel in Austin, Texas.
0: You are Corey Baum, a.k.a. Bad Boy Croy, and you are sweating your ass off. You've got four hours to write and record an original song. And what do you do?
1: You write that song in one hour. One hour. You send your band to the bar to drink, and you get down to business. And you know the craziest thing? For Cory Baum, that took a long time. And now the world premiere of the song inspired by that
0: confession, Don't Let Me Die in Waco by Croy and the Boys.
3: summer I was only
4: When I said this prayer, I said, Lord,
3: don't let me die in wake. to Austin after that heroin ride still searching for I'm a bad
1: the most I have
0: ever cared about college football yeah it's really got that fight song vibe to it that the
1: chorus is just it's it's kind of perfect if you're a UT fan and it reminds me of going to like uh like a barbecue at one of my neighbor's houses growing up and all the dad's singing jerry jeff walker and singing all that old like texas country stuff and just Mm -hmm. being kind of like smashing their beers together and having beer
0: spilled spilled on me yeah Yeah. exactly Uh, first time you smelled like beer in your life yeah this song smells like beer this song smells like cheap beer and again you just heard don't let me die in waco by and the boys you can listen to and download that song where walker anywhere
1: everywhere anywhere you stream music man you can spotify Spotify, apple Music, music youtube deezer uh youtube yeah. D's nuts. D's nuts. nuts. It's everywhere. Interview. 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 Hey, who am I talking to?
4: Walker Lukens. No, I'm Walker Lukens. Oh. Who are you? Corey Baum, a.k.a. Bad Boy Croy. And what's, uh, what's the name of your band? Croy and the Boys. This song that you wrote, what's the name <clears throat> of the song? Don't Let Me Die in Waco. Do you, uh... Do you follow college football? I don't really co- follow
1: college football. I I ask because uh, I think that people who've never, who don't know the the backstory to this, and who just hear the chorus, yeah,
4: they're gonna read it as a kind of uh, football fight thing. Sure, totally. I mean, if it wasn't connected to this project, I would probably rewrite it to be more explicitly just a college football thing because I think that's like at this point the funnier part of it but you know it's like it's got to be this other thing
1: well i wonder whether uh, I, part of me thinks that because uh you don't have any skin in the game yeah it's why
4: you were able to write that song yeah <laughs> because people who care about it care way too much i mean i follow professional football quite a bit um i don't love to talk about it because the nfl is like a dark horrible organization that i hate everything about do you think it's darker than college football they both are pretty horrible, <laughs> but I, the sport of football is like I think a beautifully complex, really interesting sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing for me is I don't like, I don't like watching football with people who love,
1: like I don't like going to sports bars to watch a game. I've never yeah. been to that, and uh, I just I find college, college football screwed up, man. Why don't they pay those players? I know
4: the that's definitely the biggest thing is the amount of money it generates, that to me and, is and the then those dudes problem. that can't even like. They get like a free tattoo for being on the team and they literally get like suspended and then maybe don't ever go pro because of, I mean, it's, it is all really exploitative and horrible. I go back and forth though, because I do think that like modern society is so mundane and like so many people's lives are just like so like hard and then also bland eliciting, like, passion in anything is, like, a good thing to me. So, I mean, I wish they were more passionate maybe about social justice or something, but, like, at least they're, like, experiencing passion for something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's... So I I kind of... I don't totally mind sports fandom at all. I like it, you know? I like... I And I like being a sports fan, and I like... It gives me an opportunity. Wearing sports gear and stuff gives me an opportunity to talk to people. Yeah. Like, I'll be in line at HEB, and it's, like, someone behind me who I... We normally wouldn't speak to each other. It's, like, I got... A Detroit Lions hat on or something. Yeah. And next thing I know, we're talking. We're talking about sports and stuff. And so it's like, I think it bridges people. It bridges things. I, I do like, I like sports fandom. I'm but. envious of,
1: of people who love a team, and the reason I'm envious envious of it is it's such a, pure and simple hobby. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just love your damn team. Yeah, and it's it gives you something to do
4: with football. Also, for me, before we went on air, you were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, one of the things about touring and getting older and being a musician is just like the lack of schedule and how that kind of starts to drive you nuts sometimes. Yeah. So for me, I really you know, cuz I was always interested in sports, but it came and went cuz as an artist, it's like sometimes you're like rebelling against everything, and sometimes you're like you know, so I was raised around it, and, like just normal working class family where sports were around and then I like rebelled against everything and then I, yeah, it would come and go. But um, really, when I moved to Austin, I, like, really fell back in love with sports and my teams and stuff. Partly because I was so far away from home, so it gave me, like, an attachment to my home. But also Wait, because...
1: who are your teams, real quick? Like, I'm a Detroit sports back. fan. it's okay, so Detroit so sports. I, so okay. I like Lions
4: and Pistons, mostly. Cool. I don't really follow baseball or hockey. But for football specifically, it's like, it just happens the same time every single week. And so it's, like, the one constant in my life during football season, you know? Yeah. Where everything else is just, like... Sometimes I'm waking up at seven AM to go landscape. Sometimes I'm going to work at midnight to go play a show. It's just like yeah. so chaotic and it's just like up and down. And so it's at least like Sunday is just like the one part of my routine where it's like, uh, at least on Sunday I know I'm watching football. You know and so watching it's like yeah. that's really why it probably became a big part of my life at some point in my like mid twenties was because it was like just the only grounding thing I had yeah really, you know. So you said that you where are you from? So I'm from Bowling Green, Ohio. In in the artistry of uh Cory Baum, bad boy Croy. Does where you're from matter? Like what did it teach you being? <laughs> Big from time, there? man. I think it influences everything. I mean, I think where I'm from I think just wherever I'm at matters a lot. I feel like I really like I don't know, I really cherish having like a sense of space and and, and place and I like really let what's happening around me like affect my output as an artist so I really like the identity of being a Midwesterner and that's one reason that I really loved coming down to Texas because there's like obviously it's like the strongest state identity (laughs) out of any of them probably so like I really like that I'm making Texas inspired music kind of from like a base and being like a rust belt Midwesterner and then also I came up you know I'm 34, so I was, like, really coming of age, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, which is, like, really when, like, deindustrialization and, like, white flight and stuff had fully just decimated all the cities up there. And so I think that had a big effect on me because culturally you'd still have to go to, like, Toledo and Detroit to, like, go to concerts and do things. But it was just, like, they just felt like super forgotten cities, you know? There were still tons of people living there, but, like, people were really struggling, and, and they still are. So I think that all like shaped my worldview as far as how I see just Yeah. Modern society and who it supports and who it leaves behind and how does a city like Austin compare to a city like Toledo or Well, for one, I had never seen a building being built downtown. Like those wow. cities were just like falling in on themselves yeah. the whole time I lived there. And like all cities in America, they're, like, experiencing revitalization, I think. I don't know about Toledo. I don't know if anybody's moving to Toledo, but Detroit is. I don't know how ethical or inclusive it is, but they are, like, fixing stuff up downtown. Mm -hmm. But so Austin, the first thing that struck me, yeah, was just an actual, like, vibrant downtown space, which has since become a space I don't think I'm, like, welcome in anymore. (laughs) Like, it's, like, evolved way past, like, Mm -hmm. which some, like, podunk idiot like me is... I have no business going down there. It's like, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, it's definitely <laughs>
1: in, over the last ten years. I mean, the vibe yeah. downtown is completely different. Yeah,
4: you know, Austin like likes to think of itself as a progressive city, or that's like its marketing. So it felt cool when I first moved here to like be in a quote unquote progressive space because I hadn't really been in that. And uh, yeah, you know, the arts are obviously like recognized as being important. And, and supported to a degree, so. I just got back from a Midwest tour,
1: and the thing uh-huh. I'm always blown away by is just how many beautiful buildings are abandoned. Yeah. Like you're saying, the, the downtown spaces, yeah. you know, are empty. It's just, it's wild when you, when you think about... Um, yeah, yeah the kind of growth and development that's happening here right. and how contentious it is and how many people were displacing and yeah. all, you know all sorts of really really tough stuff and then you go to a city like that where it's like you you can get an amazing building for
4: very cheap well I mean, when you yeah when you travel through the midwest you realize like i don't know can we go all the way here on this podcast this oh, is why yeah. i think dude yeah. there's no saving the arts in austin okay mm-hmm. All the intangibles that make a place like a haven for artists are already gone in Austin and you can't bring it back. Like Mm -hmm. the main thing is just affordability. The main thing is that we just like any working people, it's affordability. But for artists specifically, it's like it's not conducive for us to act like business people and to have to like. I don't know, like plan out my like creative week as if it's like a nine to five and make sure I'm like working on it 40 hours a week and all that stuff. Like you need downtime. You need time to reflect, to consume other art and media and stuff and like, you know, like marinate on that. And then, and so when you travel through the Midwest and you run into these artists that are up there that are like Mm -hmm. living in these really inspiring, beautiful spaces and they're paying barely anything for them. And you just see what Austin used to be, which is like, working a part-time job and then a little supplemental something else and you're totally fine and you're able to like focus on being a creative and it's like we're so far past that in Austin it's just like such a grind to live here and in most big cities I've got friends in Cleveland that are doing similar stuff where it's just like just these beautiful beautiful spaces. I don't I've no idea what kind of art I'd be making if I just had like could wake up when I wanted, drink some coffee, and, like, look out over, like, a skyline from, like, a giant warehouse space that, yeah. like, I own. And, you know, it's, like, if you're a creative-type person, you are, like, generally, like, a fun-loving individual. Yeah. That's why you're, like, you're seeking, like, the freedom of, like, a creative life. So then you wind up just, like, getting that from just, like, small-time local kicks. And you just can't, like, yeah, get out yeah. and actually experience the road, like, you used to when your rent was... Four hundred fifty dollars a yeah. month, you know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think another thing that
1: that happens is like, it it amps up the competition. Yeah, but not in a good way. Right. It's not that people are inspired by each other. It's that uh, they're they're in competition for the for things that should be like you know victories for all. You know things like yeah. getting certain opening slots or sure any place certain clubs
4: or things know. that we should really like not even take if we don't feel like it like. Yeah. Dumbass corporate shit that I get offered. You know, and I'm like, I don't want to do this gig but it pays so good I have to do it. I call it sitting
1: on the tech company
4: face. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. That's hilarious. And but uh yeah, and then and then you get submitted to like the board and then they don't pick you and you pick one of your friends and I'm like, man, fuck him. You know? (laughs) And it's like, oh good. Now I'm mad at my friend over a terrible gig. (laughs) So I was like it's like actually bad for either one of us to play.
1: I definitely noticed uh, about your music, about your songwriting, I should say, that you're just like the voice of a little bit of an outsider. Mm-hmm. And and, and, uh, and I mean it only as a compliment, but like, you know, I think in country music, there are so many tropes. Like yeah. as a songwriter, you don't ever have to say, you don't have to find a sexy topic. Like in country music, you can just do tropes. You can just do tropes and yeah. they're great and there's yeah, so yeah. many and especially we're getting this kind of you probably have a better um, grasp on it than I do but we're going through some kind of revival yeah. with this vaguely outlaw country. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I feel like it's just people like us not hiding the fact that they're sort of like us but still dressed in country. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels much more relatable um, but I think even in that context like I think some of the stuff that you sing about is far more uh, controversial than, like, that stupid Sergio Simpson record no one will shut up about. Do you well, know what I'm trying I mean, to say?
4: Just subject matter. 100%. I mean, it's ridiculous to me that anybody would think that subject matter that was considered outlaw mm-hmm. in 1977 or something... Would still be outlaw would still now. be outlaw yeah. now. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, you're singing about whiskey and cocaine? Like... Yeah, man. Been happening now for like forty years, like not, a, not but, you know, that's not that that our, stuff's bad or not. That's like, our, I don't our heritage. It, but it's like yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it's just not yeah. that isn't pushing any envelope. Sounding like something that's already happened is that can't be pushing an forward you know, pushing anything forward mm-hmm. 'cause it's like retroactive or something. Well, how
1: did you feel towards the confessor? Like when you were writing this song, did you feel differently about the subject than you do about other subjects or for you, what was it like for you?
4: Hmm that I feel different. Well, I'd never done anything like that before. I've never, I really haven't done any mm co-writing. I never really like, it's not like I think like, I want to write a song about gentrification or something. You know, it's really, is like, like when you sit down, I just have, I don't really even sit down. It's like, I write a lot of songs. I used to work at landscaping, mm-hmm. which I might get back into now that my son's in daycare, unfortunately. <laughs> I thought I was done with it. <laughs> um, you know, and I worked door at bar for a long time. I just have always done jobs that are like zero mental, they don't take any of my mental space. And so I, I write a lot while I'm at work. So I'm just like sitting on a stool checking IDs or like just shoveling. Yeah. Uh, something will just pop into my head, you know, where I just like. So, anyways, I'd never really like purposefully approached a story or subject matter where it's like, I want, I need to turn this into a song. It's yeah. usually like just a sentence just gets caught in my head, and then I just like start singing the sentence instead of saying it. And then that's like the foundation of the chorus or something. Yeah. So, I really can't even compare it to anything because I, I had, that was like, this is like the only time I've ever written with such purpose where it's like it has to get done and I have to, like, use this as the subject.
1: So so uh, just just for point of comparison, but, like, a song like Howdy High Rise, Yeah. like, how long did that take to write?
4: Um, I mean, usually less time than this song took to write. Really? Yeah, usually within an hour I'm done with songs. Wow. I mean, I might fine-tune some, like, verse stuff, but I usually... Usually, I have a bad habit. I mean, it's something I'd like to work on, honestly. It's, like, usually if I don't have, if I don't get it out in that first little, like, burst, I am I probably won't finish it. It's, like, really hard for me to come back. Yeah. So I've got, like, a million, literally one million mm-hmm. <laughs> unfinished songs. So I just have these, like, little points. It's, like, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, like... Uh... I should have had the lyrics for that song in front of me if I was going well, to dissect let, this. But let's like, talk
1: about "Don't Let Me Die in Waco." Like, okay, what yeah. Are the points <clears> for that.
4: I mean, that one is, I guess, pretty easy because he had already laid out the story for I. Since I didn't live that experience from let me, "Don't Let Me Die in Waco," I only had what he told me, so it was just like
1: just get it done.
4: Just get it done, yeah. yeah. And I, I one thing I want to get better at is like I have a bad habit of starting at the beginning and ending at the end, and yeah. we just work through it as opposed to like starting somewhere and then revealing, um, like which I basically do with. Don't let me die in Waco. It's just like yeah. exactly in the exact same way that he told me. It was like, got on the bus, saw the guy, guy died, kept going on the bus, got to Austin. Yeah. You know?
1: I do think, though, in your song, the meaning of the chorus changes.
4: Oh, I understand. I mean, the yeah. first
1: yeah. meaning of the chorus is yeah. you know you're talking about these two kids going on a trip. Yeah, yeah. And, and the guy died in Waco. You're like, fuck, not here. Yeah. And then after the second verse is revealed, yeah. Yeah. it's like, it's more about death and less about the cities. Yeah. Interesting. I'm taking off my uh, tweed jacket now. <laughs> but... Uh, all right, so I'm going to ask a tough, hard-hitting question here. Okay. Like I said, if I had written this song, it would have been really morbid. Why Why, why is your song funny? Like, <laughs> what were you channeling? Or what's wrong with you? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> um, well... I mean, I don't think the story is really all that morbid or even needs to be all that traumatic. Nothing happens to those list, like, to the... To the boys. And to the boys. Like, the yeah. point of view is from nothing happens to them. They, like, are near death a couple of times. That's no big deal. Who cares? True. So, I didn't really... I didn't really think too deeply on it when I wrote it, but thinking on it now, it's like, I don't... I wasn't particularly, like, moved by, like... By the, what? The trauma the, yeah. of it. There was no trauma involved. Maybe if it was, like... He was telling me about like his son who died on a bus, yeah, alone in Waco, or like he was telling me yeah. about like his best friend who fell off a balcony next to him, mm-hmm. or something. But it was like just kind of vaguely around. It is not that serious of a thing to me. So, so you're saying I'm fucked up? That's the subtext. Yeah, of yeah, your yeah. Or you're just like <laughs> self-serious and self-important, or something that you think that like. <laughs> <laughs> Being so, near it is like traumatic so to somebody. Guilty. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But I mean, tr- I do think that humor is a nice way to talk about serious subjects. That's kind of what I do with all my stuff.
1: I also think that that but.
4: when you're working with humor,
1: and it's it's
4: sarcastic. Yeah. You know,
1: or uh, I don't know if this is just sarcastic or if it's ironic. But you give yeah. you give layers to the song. Yeah. So like, I'm I mean, I'm sincerely hoping that someone
4: hears this song. and They're like.
1: Book, yeah, Longhorn football, man.
4: Yeah, me too. Yeah. I don't and think that's it. And that's you know, it I'd really try not to deal on irony too much. I'm not a huge fan of irony. Sarcasm, for sure. I like sarcasm a lot. And country music, because I mostly deal on that. It's like it's just got such a honest, rich tradition. Even though I mess with the conventions of country in my own little way, it comes from like a place of reverence for like the genre and the history of it and yeah. how important it is to people. So I don't want someone to like accidentally genuinely like something I'm doing and then find out that I was being ironic about it. That seems like a, just an awkward situation. So I just try to avoid, by like you don't want to write the Okie from a Skokie is what you're telling me, man. Fuck that song.
1: <laughs> you don't like that song.
4: I hate that song. I mean, I don't like There's it a either. Couple, but... I, listen, I think Merle Haggard is like one of the greatest of all times. Like I think if someone has no idea what country music is, they're from another planet. Mm-hmm. Merle is like the distilled perfection of country music to me. Like, but he's got some shithead songs that I've, Fucking hate. Okay, but Muskogee, it's annoying. There's all this debate about was he serious, was he ironic. I don't care. It had the effect it had, which was like giving a bunch of rednecks a chance to like double down on like hating other people. Yeah. That's why it's dangerous to deal in that world. Yeah. I try to avoid it.
0: artist in austin is kind of a weird game i've been doing it i really identified with that i've been living on the east side basically the same amount of time as Corey, slightly longer um and I, i mean we're we're living in a different city
3: now
1: completely through and through it's yeah it's interesting i also think that he's right about uh the fact that austin's kind of beyond repair Mm. for, for oh, I, our people yeah I I, hey don't get me wrong i love living here same and i've had an amazing experience and i've had a,
0: a lot we were, of great we were opportunities. lucky enough to get here when it was still relatively I,
1: affordable which like yeah. once you have the roots staying is a little easier than mm-hmm. showing up and i honestly i feel like personally like i got here maybe just a just a little too late yeah you know because you, you've been, I've been living here, here longer. longer yeah i've been uh, here a little bit longer it's true and i love living here and there are a lot of great opportunities for being a musician but even like artists who are ten to fifteen years, they've been here ten to fifteen years long. I mean, they it's unrecognizable mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, you know. So in that sense, I mean, I think I definitely think Corey is, is just right. He is because there was like, there's a weird mix of both more
0: and less opportunity. It's like there's there's more gigs, there's more you know that lovely word exposure. Yeah. Um, but less opportunity to really stand out or to really get people to care as much as they used to. Uh, there's just, I mean, it's also the world we live in. There's just so much competition with live music these days.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and and I think the the thing that he said that I identify with the most is that the biggest thing that helps my creativity is free time. Mm-hmm. I have no fucking free time. Yeah. I haven't had free time in years. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just very easy to lose sight, I think, of, how important free time and boredom is to to create a process, be, to create a process. Yeah, no, that's and, well said. And that's the part where, that I really identify with him is that I just think that that's gone mm-hmm. in this town. We're beyond repair. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean there's not still going to be music. It doesn't mean we the, don't the hustle, have... the hustle and bustle that has
0: grown has mm-hmm. taken away that chill vibe of free time that Austin was yeah.
1: known for. Yeah. What was the nickname for Austin? The Velvet Rut. Yeah. 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 Great nickname. It is a good nickname. I uh I think another another thing about about Corey and about this song, you know, I mean, I, I said it in the interview, but it, I would have written Us a very sad song. Oh yeah, and he didn't. Yeah, and I loved his answer, which is basically like, I just don't think it's that tragic to be next to next to death with next no to relation, death, with no relation, with no personal you know? effect of any kind. Which which, like. So true. You yeah. are so right. It's happening every day. Yeah. You can read about somebody dying in the news every single day. Yeah. I, I, it, and he's, um, he's spot on about that. And I think it's interesting because I know that for, for me and you, part of what uh, drove this project in a way is that we've both lost people very close to us in mm-hmm. our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I think that for me hearing that story, you your personal, go back then. Yeah, your personal trauma oh, Yeah, comes I go up, back which, to that. Yeah, mine too. And it's really, too. It is really refreshing to just be talking with someone who's like, it's not dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, so <laughs> it's true. like such a good and healthy perspective. Yeah. And good to be reminded that like uh, you can you can hear that story uh, and just make a funny ass fucking kind of totally. song out of it. And because it's so the guy
0: that's telling it has not experienced an ounce of trauma.
1: A group of really amazing musicians worked on this song. On bass guitar, we have Amy Hawthorne, on drums we have Casey Seymour, on piano and organ we have Joe Cornetti, and on guitar we have Doug Walseth. On acoustic guitar and vocals, that is Bad Boy Croy, Corey Baum. Uh, that is uh, me and uh, Aaron Blackerby, who works on this podcast. And, and mom? uh no, no, mom? No, she didn't make, make it. it. Oh, but, uh, but Rocky from The Reputations, we're all singing backup on that track. This song was produced, mixed, and engineered by Jim Eno at Public Hi-Fi with assistant engineering by Grant Epley. It was mastered by Chris Longwood.
0: The Song Confessional Podcast is produced by myself, Zach Catanzaro, Walker Lukens, Rylan Kettery, Aaron Blackerby,
1: Jim Eno, and our man Mike Lee. The theme song that you heard at the top was written by, uh, by me, it was performed by me, Zach Catanzaro, James Wesley Esri, and uh, engineered by old uh, Grant Epley at Public Hi-Fi. If you enjoyed the podcast, I highly recommend that
0: you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Song Confessional, and that you sign up for our mailing list at www.songconfessional.com.
1: Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to KUTX for distributing this thing. If you like this song, it's available everywhere you stream music.
3: Don't let me die